My name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here. I'm really glad uh, that you've joined us this morning as uh, we're continuing in our series, Humans of the Bible. I want to invite you to get out your Bible if you brought one with you. If you didn't bring one with you, there are some under the seats around you. And if you don't own a Bible, I want you to keep one of those as your own. But we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Just hold your place there. Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, if you're not familiar. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. And like I said, we're continuing on in this series, Humans of the Bible, where we have been looking at the stories of a a number of different people in the Bible. And the reason that we're doing that is because what we know to be true of all Scripture is that ultimately it is pointing toward Jesus. It's the story of God's love and his redemption, and it's the story of his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's true of the Old Testament, it's true of the New Testament, and so we're Uh, spending some time this summer looking at some of these different people who are a part of God's story. And this morning, we're going to look at a man who I think most of you will be familiar with. He's a man uh, named Abraham. And many of you got dizzy singing a song about him as a child, spinning around and shaking your arms and legs. Uh, But Abraham's story is more than just a vertigo-inducing song. In fact, uh, we find that though his story covers about 13 chapters in the book of Genesis... He's mentioned another 43 times in the Old Testament and 75 times in the New Testament. And so this guy, Abraham, he's a pretty prominent figure in the story of God, in the story of the Bible. And he's referred to as the father of our faith. How many of you have heard Abraham referred to as the father of our faith? Yeah, many of us have. And we're going to see why that is today. And I really want to focus in on that topic of faith. It's something that we hear a good deal about. Uh, We maybe have heard stories about how someone's faith got them through a a difficult circumstance or difficult season of life. Maybe you've had uh, someone ask you, what faith are you? And what they're asking is, what's your religious background? What what do you adhere to when it comes to religion? Maybe you've heard the phrase, uh, someone talking about faith that can move mountains. And that's a reference to Jesus' words from Matthew 17. And certainly Jesus had a lot to say about this topic of faith. But here's why I think it's so important for us to understand uh, and to explore the topic of faith. It's on your notes page, but in Hebrews 11.6, we read that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And just let that sink in for just a minute. If you want to please God, and I hope that you do, it is not going to happen apart from faith. So it's a big deal. And yet, I wonder if faith is something that you've ever given much thought to. We hear about it, we talk about it, we sing about it here on Sunday mornings, but have you ever stopped to consider, what, what is it? And how do I put faith into practice? Well, I think what Hebrews 11 points out for us is that as followers of Jesus, this is something we have to get right. Like This topic of faith, it has some weight to it. And Abraham's story is going to help us to answer the question, what is faith? And it's also going to give us some practical ways to put it into practice. Now, before we start, before we jump into the story, I want to give you a little bit of background in case you're not familiar. When we first meet Abraham, his name is not Abraham. We first meet him as Abram, but God changes his name to Abraham about halfway through the story. So you can know this morning as you hear me referencing Abram and Abraham is the same guy. 
Also, Abram is married to a woman named Sarai, and God later changes her name to Sarah. So Abram becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah, but it's all the same people. Now we read in Genesis chapter 3 that sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And because of that original sin, humanity experienced a separation from God. And if God had washed his hands of the human race, just walked away and left us for dead, he would have been completely justified in doing so. In fact, we read in God's word that the the wages of sin is death. Okay, the wages of sin is hell. And that was what was before you and I because of sin. But God didn't want that for us. God loves his creation. He loves mankind. He loves you. And you may not believe that this morning, but I'm here to tell you we're going to see it in Abraham's story this morning. And so because God didn't want death and hell for us, he put a plan into motion to bring us back into a right standing with himself. And that plan began by starting a brand new nation. And this was going to be a group of people with whom he would have a special relationship. They were going to be set apart. They were going to do things differently than the other people of the world. They were going to be a nation that looked different than the other nations around them. They were going to be a people that was holy and pleasing to the Lord. And to start this new nation, God picked this man, Abram. But Abram was a strange choice for a couple of reasons. First of all, Abram grew up in the home of idol worshipers. And we read about Abram's family life in the book of Joshua. Chapter 24 specifically tells us that Abram's father's name was Terah and that Terah worshipped other gods. So Abraham, Abram grew up with this polytheistic worldview. He believed that there were multiple gods that should be worshipped and, and, and a god for every different aspect of life. You worship this god for this and that god for that, but they all deserved your worship. But we have no evidence from scripture that Abram was even familiar with the one true God. We don't know that for sure, but growing up in the home of idol worshipers, uh, the worship of multiple gods, it seems unlikely that Abram would have known and loved the one true God. And yet in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we read this. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And so God, God chooses Abram. He singles him out and he gives him this command. And, and think about this. This verse highlights that this is Abram's country. These are Abram's people. This is his household. Okay, he's, he's connected there. He's comfortable there. He's likely in line to inherit a portion, if not all of, his father's uh, land and his father's goods. He's the one who's likely going to be carrying on that family name. Why would Abram walk away from all of this? Well, look at what God promised him in verse 2. It says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, let's pause right there, because what we have just read is one of the major themes of all of Scripture as well as your life and mine as followers of Jesus. And that is that when God blesses us, he does it so that we will be a blessing to those around us. And we see this in Abram's life. He says, Abram, I'm going to bless you, and all of the people of earth are going to be blessed through you. You're blessed to be a blessing. I want you to watch for that as you read God's word, that theme as it pops up. 
Now, I mentioned earlier that there were a couple of reasons why Abram was a strange choice for starting this new nation. The first being that he grew up in a home of of idol worshipers uh, and that multiple gods were worshipped in his home. But the second reason he's a strange choice is this. God is looking to start this great nation. But the Bible says that Abram and Sarai are nearly 100 years old and they have no kids. Okay, does that sound like a a great choice for a couple that's going to begin a great nation? I mean, if it was yours to choose, is that the person you would choose? In fact, let me illustrate this just a little bit. I want to show you a couple of pictures here, and I want you to decide which couple you would choose if you had a nation to build, okay? Here's option number one. It's a family we all know and love. Uh, it's the Bradys, right? And, uh, and the Bradys have their own little nation started there. Uh, they've got Alice, who's kind of a, an honorary Brady. You know, she's grafted into the Brady family, and so they're well on their way. They've got kids who are well on their way to having spouses and kids of their own. Maybe this is a good choice if you were going to build a nation. But here's option number two, and this is, uh, this is Frank and Lois. And if you've heard me preach much, you've seen Frank and Lois before. They're kind of my go-to elderly couple. I think it's just because of their enthusiasm. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to them. But, but this is option number two. And uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if Frank and Lois haven't started having kids, like, it's probably not in their five-year plan, okay? It seems to me that, that that's probably not on the radar for them. But that's option number two. And if it was your choice and you had to build this great nation, who would you choose? Would you go with the Bradys or would you go with the elderly couple? And more importantly, who does God choose? And don't we see that throughout Scripture, God continuously uses people that, that no one else would choose, like, he always seems to pick the, the option that, that no one else would say was the, was the right choice or the good choice. And we've seen that even in this series, haven't we? I mean, think about, we, we studied the life of Moses. Moses was a, was a Hebrew born into Egyptian slavery. We talked about Ruth. Ruth, the Moabite woman who moved to Bethlehem, and now she's a foreigner in a strange land, and she's the lowest of low on the totem pole. And yet she's the only woman in the Bible who was given the title of a woman of noble character. And Josh Tandy taught on Stephen, and he, he warned us about never saying, I'm just a whatever. And, uh, and, and Stephen, remember we saw uh, people wanted to give him the label of, you're just, you're just a bread provider. You're just in charge of the food. And yet Stephen has this amazing account in Acts where he speaks boldly to the religious leaders of his day. And so we see that God used all of these folks in a mighty way to accomplish his purposes. And that's what he's about to do through Abram and Sarai. In Genesis 15, 5, we read that God took Abram outside and he said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now that's a pretty incredible promise for a guy who is closing in on 100 years old and whose wife has given him no children. Scientists say that without a telescope, if you just walk outside at night and look up into the sky, you can identify about 10,000 stars just with the naked eye. And while I have to believe Abraham was likely overwhelmed at the thought of thousands of descendants, I also believe that God was smiling 
because only God had the knowledge of the billions of stars that were up in the sky that night. And only God knew that this promised nation would be made up not of thousands, but of billions of people, both natural born and adopted ones like you and I. And can I just remind you this morning that while our eyes may see one thing, God always sees so much more. The Bible tells us clearly that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher. His thoughts are greater. He sees so much more than we do. And it was true for Abram. God said to him, he said, Abram, I'm picking you. I'm going to build a great nation through you. I'm going to bless you with more kids and grandkids and great-grandkids than you can possibly imagine. I'll bless the people who bless you, and I'm going to curse everyone who curses you. And that's a pretty awesome promise for Abram, don't you think? But I have to believe that the tough part was still ahead. Because in order for this new nation to start, Abram's going to have to leave everything behind. And again, it's all of his comfort. It's his family and his friends, his home. He's going to have to take his wife and go to a place where they've never been before. In fact, they don't even know where they're going. God doesn't tell them. He just says, go. Go to the land I will show you. But in verse 4, we read Abram's response. And it says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. And so Abram is obedient to what the Lord has commanded. And if you're taking notes, it's the first thing I want you to see about faith this morning. It's that faith is obeying. Faith is obeying. And just, just try to imagine for a moment how difficult it would have been for this elderly couple to leave. They're packing up their things their family and their friends are likely asking them questions to which they have no answers. And remember, this is Haran. It's a place located on the border of modern-day Turkey and Syria. This is rugged terrain. It's a dangerous place. And Abram and Sarai, they have no idea where they're going. And they certainly could have come up with a number of different reasons to disobey. But they didn't do that. God said, go. So Abram went. No questions, no objections, just obedience. And in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, we read that it was by faith that Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And I wonder for you this morning, if you're kind of connecting with Abram in this story, and maybe for you, you have no idea where you're going. You have no idea where your life is headed. You have no idea where God is leading you. And maybe it feels like you're stuck in a roundabout. You ever been stuck in a roundabout? And you just keep going around and around and you see all of these exits, but you have no idea which one to take and, and, and which one is the right one. And maybe for you, you're asking God to show you which direction to go. And that's good. And I want you to keep on asking him. But I want you to see that Abram is a great example of obeying even when you don't know where you're going, even when you're not sure where God is leading he knew God said go, and so he went. He didn't ask for all the details up front. He just responded to what he knew, and he obeyed. And so here's the key, and you might want to write this down. Instead of worrying about what we don't know, we need to be obedient to what we do know. Instead of worrying about what we don't know, we need to be obedient to what we do know. Because sometimes our questioning of what's next distracts us from what God has already commanded us. How are you doing at being obedient to the obvious things? Like, if I were to ask you, you know, what, what are some of the things that Jesus commanded us to do? I'm asking you that right now. Can you come up with some? 
And if the answer to that question is no, I don't don't say that to guilt you. I'm just telling you, like, as a follower of Jesus, you need to know what he has commanded you. Open up your Bible. Start reading through the Gospels. And just every time you read a command of Jesus, write it down. And just ask yourself, am I being obedient to this command? How can I be more obedient to this command? Maybe just start with this. Someone asked Jesus one time, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, here it is, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. So maybe just start there. Are you being obedient to those commandments? And I know you've got to make decisions. I know, I know the, all these other decisions, they seem like they're so much more important, and so that's what we pray about, and we're asking God to show us the way, and I don't know if I should go here or go there, and I've got to figure out work and marriage and kids and school and on and on. And I believe God wants to show you the way in all of that. But could it be that God is waiting for you to be obedient to the things that he has already told you before he shows you what that next step is? Faith is obeying. And if we put ourselves in Abram's shoes, he really has every reason to doubt. God is promising this great nation, but do you know that the Bible tells us that Sarai is well beyond childbearing years? Okay, there's no, there's no pulling punches. It's not like she's kind of right on the line or she's probably not going to have kids. No, it says she is well beyond it. Those years are behind her. Having kids at this point is not even on the radar screen. And yet God promised a child. And you know what? Genesis 15, 6 tells us that Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And it's the second thing I want you to see about faith this morning, that faith is believing. I want you to listen to what Paul had to say about Abraham's faith and about his belief in Romans chapter 4. Paul said this, he said, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And without weakening in his faith, he faced up to the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. I want to give you a definition of biblical faith based off of that passage, Romans chapter 4. It's this. Biblical faith is believing that God will do what he said he would do, because he has the power to do whatever he desires. Biblical faith is believing that God will do what he said he would do, because he has the power to do whatever he desires. And I think it's important for us to understand that, because I think it's easy for us to fall into this way of thinking that that faith is, like, if I just believe it enough, then God's going to do what I want him to do. Like, if I just have enough faith, it's going to turn out the way that I want it to turn out. But that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is looking at a man who's as good as dead and a wife with a womb that is also dead and yet believing that God will do what he said he would do because he has the power to do whatever he desires. And so I wonder for you this morning, how are you doing with that kind of faith? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I firmly believe that everything comes down to the question, do I believe God? Do I believe God? Do I believe that he's my provision even when things don't go right at work, even when I don't get the job I was hoping for? Do I believe that God is good even when I don't get into the school that I wanted to get into? Do I believe that God is working everything for my good even when the test results are bad? 
Do I really believe and trust in God even when there seems to be no possible solution? Listen, Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so I want to ask you this morning, what is it that you're hoping for? What, what is it that your hope is set on? Everybody in the room right now, I want you to take just a minute. When I ask that question, what would you say you're hoping for out of life right now? What is it that's consuming your thoughts, your energy, your emotions? What are you hoping for? And I want you to, to think about whatever that is that you've just identified. And I, I want you to think about whether or not it's something that God has clearly spoken to in Scripture. Because if what you're hoping for is something that God has promised in his word, then you can rest assured today and you can believe that he is going to be faithful to that promise and your hope is set in a good place. But if that thing that you're hoping for is not something that God has spoken clearly on, I want to gently suggest to you that it is time to realign your hope. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, that we are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be given to us when Christ is revealed. That our hope is to be fully set right there. And it's not that we can't hope for other things, okay? Like, I hope my kids continue walking with the Lord later in life. I hope my family experiences help. I ho uh, health. I, I hope for all kinds of different things. I bet you do too. But my hope isn't set on those things. And that's the distinction, that my hope is set on the fact that no matter how bad things get here on earth, it is all coming to an end when Christ comes again. And the Bible tells us that when he comes, there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more sickness for those who are in Christ. And here's the best part. We will be with Jesus forever. And all of the troubles of this world will come to an end in that moment. That's a promise that you can believe in. And every day you can pray a prayer like this. God, my situation, it's overwhelming. I have no idea how this is going to play out. I am hoping it will go a certain way. And you can present that request to God. But my hope is set on the grace that will be given when Christ comes again. How are you doing when it comes to belief? Do you believe that God will do what he said he would do? Do you believe he has the power to do whatever he desires? So faith is obeying and faith is believing. And Abraham was a great example for us of these things. But before we go and label him as the perfect model for faith, we need to turn to Genesis 16 and take a look at one uh, specific part of Abraham's story that I'm sure uh, was not his best moment. What we find is that Abram and Sarai, they're getting a little impatient with God, okay? They're tired of waiting. God has promised this nation. He's promised a son. They've been waiting. Nothing has happened. They're not getting any younger. And, uh, and so they decide to take matters into their own hands. And in verse 3 of Genesis 16, we read, So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Okay, now clearly this is not God's plan. Okay, God's plan was for Abram and Sarai to have a child, not Abram and Hagar. And remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago about this. If you're not experiencing the blessings of God, you don't take matters into your own hand. You stay in the place that God can bless because God doesn't bless sin. 
Ruth was a great example for us of this. Abram and Sarai, not as much. And there are consequences for their actions. In fact, as we read on in chapter 16, we find that a child is born to Hagar, and he's given the name Ishmael. And listen to what the Lord says about Ishmael in verse 12. He says, he will be a wild donkey of a man. That's not a compliment, by the way, okay? His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So for Ishmael, it's nothing but chaos. God says Ishmael's life, it's going to be marked by strife and hostility and just absolute chaos. And it's important to note that eventually God's plan, it still prevails, Okay, in Genesis 21, we read that the Lord gives a son to Abraham through Sarah, and their son is given the name Isaac. But because they took matters into their own hands, Isaac now has this brother from another mother named Ishmael. And this is fascinating. The Muslim people trace their lineage back through this man, this wild donkey of a man, Ishmael. He became the father of the Arab nations. And Isaac is the father of the Jewish nation today. And now, 4,000 years later, when you turn on your TV and you watch the news and you hear about conflict between places like Iran and Israel, what you're hearing about is Ishmael and Isaac. There was plenty of conflict then. There's still conflict here today. And Genesis chapter 16 is where it all began. With just one decision to stray from God's plan, generations of chaos came after. But I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss the fact that even in the midst of Abram's unfaithfulness, that God remained faithful. And you can know that the humans of the Bible did some terrible things and sometimes made huge mistakes apart from God's plan. But notice that God doesn't walk away. He doesn't count them out. He still uses their lives for his glory. And I highlight that just to say that if you have ever felt disqualified from God's love, like, I've done too much bad stuff. My sin was too great. You know, there's no way that God could love me now. I want you to know, you can look at Abraham, and you can know that there is grace. We read in 1 John chapter 1 that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful, and he's just, and he forgives us our sins. But not just that. He goes a step further, and he purifies us. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. That, that cleansing, that purification, that forgiveness can be yours through Jesus Christ. And no matter what those things are that you've done apart from God's plan, he can still use your life for his glory if you'll put your trust in him. And that's the last thing I want you to see today is that faith is trusting. Faith is trusting. If you're following along in your own Bible, skip over to Genesis 22. And this is where we find the, the part of Abraham's story that he's probably best known for. So God promised Abraham he would make him into a great nation. Sarah has finally given birth to a son. They gave him the, the name Isaac. And now the Lord is about to do something that had to have caught Abraham off guard. And Genesis 22 verse 1 says this. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now pause right there. That's, that's kind of just a footnote for you and I. Okay, We know it was just a test. Abraham did not know that it was just a test. And he said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, okay, and go to the region of Moriah. And doesn't it seem like God is wanting to make sure that, that Abraham knows which son he's talking about? Like maybe Abraham in his mind was thinking, oh man, maybe I'll, I'll take Ishmael instead, you know. I, I'll, but God says, no, it's, it's your, the one you love. You take Isaac with you, okay, not the wild donkey. 
Sacrifice Isaac there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, this is odd because you and I know that in Deuteronomy chapter 12, the Lord strictly forbids any kind of human sacrifice. And you and I know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? He doesn't change on these things. But God has a purpose for this instruction, and we're going to see it. Reading on, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up, and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Now, they are headed toward Mount Moriah, and this is going to be a three-day journey to the top of that mountain. And man, three days, think about that. That is plenty of time to be thinking about and wrestling with this command that God has just given. And I don't know what Abraham was thinking, but I sure know what I would be thinking. Like, God, did I hear you right? Like, you don't want me to really kill my son, do you? I mean, surely, surely there's some other way. You promised me that you're going to make me into a great nation, and you know, I'm 100 years old, and, and my wife just gave birth, and there's no way that I heard you right. There's no way you would want me to do this. That's what I would be thinking. But I don't think Abraham was thinking that at all, and here's why. Here's what we read in verse 4. It says, On the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw that place in the distance. And he said to his servants, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And you have to pay attention to that pronoun usage in that final verse there. Because Abraham says, we will come back. Both of us. I'm coming back and the boy's coming back with me. And the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 later tells us that Abraham reasoned to himself that if he followed through with the sacrifice that God could bring his son back to life. And so Abraham confidently says, we're coming back. One way or another, even if I, I kill Isaac on the altar, God can bring him back to, the, back to life and we are coming back to you. He knew that no matter what happened, God would be true to his word. He knew that God was faithful and he trusted. Faith is trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. And that's true for you and me too. Sometimes it seems impossible to see how our current situation could lead to anything good. But in those moments, it becomes a matter of trusting. And it's trusting that God sees that bigger picture. I wonder this morning, do we have any people here who enjoy doing puzzles? Do you have any puzzle people here this morning? A few. We had a few in first service as well. I enjoy doing a puzzle as well. I don't do many of them. Uh, but there is one time of the year when the Krauses work on a puzzle together. And it's during Christmas break. And we'll set up a card table behind our love seat. And uh, we have graduated to more and more difficult puzzles. I think the one that we did last Christmas break was a, around 1,000 pieces. And it takes us several different days to, to get this puzzle completed. We all just work on it a little bit at a time until we're tired of it, and then we walk away. Now, some of you here this morning are hardcore puzzle people. And what I mean by that is you are the kind of person who refuses to look at the box. You refuse to use the picture. You just sort through the, the pieces and you put it together. I just want you to know, I will never be you, okay? I have to use that picture. I, I just refuse to try to do a puzzle without it. And isn't it so much easier to work on a puzzle when you've got that finished picture right there in front of you? I mean, when the pieces are just dumped out on the table, it just looks like a pile of chaos. And it's impossible to see how anything as good is going to come out of it. But with the picture in front of you, man, you can see how all those pieces will come together to make something beautiful. And you can see how the color from one piece kind of blends into the color of another piece and how everything begins to fit together and make sense. 
And I fully believe that there will be a day when you and I will look back on our lives and we will see how both the good and the bad was used by God for our good and for his glory. But that might not be today. I mean, today you might just have that one piece because we're just given one piece at a time here on planet earth. And I think Abraham was viewing this command to sacrifice his son in light of the fact that it was just one small piece of the much bigger picture. If he had chosen to put all of his focus on this one piece, the story could have ended very differently. But he didn't do that. He trusted that God saw the bigger picture. He trusted that God knew what he was doing. And so we read in verse 6 that when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so we see that Abraham, he passed the test. He trusted in God. But more than that, I want you to see in this story something much greater. There's a a term, a literary term that many of you will be familiar with. It's foreshadowing. And it's where the author gives a hint to point towards something that is yet to come. And you'll remember that I said that all of Scripture is ultimately pointing toward Jesus. Listen, the whole point of this new nation that God was starting through Abraham was that one day the Messiah would come out of it. He would be born out of this new nation. And when you look at the genealogies of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, what you will find is that Jesus was a direct descendant of Abraham. And remember when I said that there was a purpose behind God's command for Abraham to sacrifice his son. Well, this event on Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac, it's foreshadowing. This is the same region where God would later send his one and only son, Jesus, to be crucified. And for Abraham, it was just a test. But the day would come when it would be so much more than that. And God would sacrifice his one and only son for you and me. He did it because he loved us so much. He didn't want death for us. He didn't want hell for us. So he paid the price for our sins with the perfect sinless life of his son, Jesus Christ. And he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And you know, as frustrating as it is to to, to put a puzzle together without the picture, what's even worse is to get to the end of the puzzle and realize you're one piece short. And I guess I'm just wondering this morning if there are some of you here in the room whose life is missing that one most important piece. It's the piece of faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's obeying Jesus. It's believing him. It's trusting him. And Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want you to know you can do that today. You can put your faith in Jesus and be saved. And I'd love to talk with you more about that next step after the service today. But for those of you who have already surrendered to Christ, you've already made that commitment somewhere in the past, I just want to ask you, how's your faith? 
How's your faith this morning? Because I think what happens is sometimes we become weary in the waiting, don't we? We can become weary in, in, uh, in pressing through everything that life throws our way. And so I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. We're going to pray. Uh, but before we do that, I want to give you just a moment to evaluate this with the Lord. And I want you to keep in the forefront of your mind that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We read that in his word this morning. And I know you want to please him, but are you obeying? Are you obeying him? Has your questioning of what's next distracted you from what God has already commanded? And maybe you need to confess that to the Lord this morning. And maybe you need to recommit to obedience to what you already know. Maybe take a moment and do that right now. Or maybe for you this morning, it has more to do with believing. You know, do you, do you believe that God will do what he said he would do? Do you believe he has the power to do whatever he desires? Are you believing him for something that, that he actually said he would do versus something that you're just hoping he would do? And if you've wavered in belief, why not just confess that to the Lord this morning? Lord, I've, I've set my hope on something less than you. I mean, you can pray a prayer like the man in Mark 9 who prayed, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. He wants to help us with this. Cry out to him, confess it this morning. And finally, I would ask this morning, are you trusting? Are you trusting that God sees a bigger picture than you do? Are you trusting that the ups and the downs can all come together to create a picture that shows how God was always working for your eternal good and his eternal glory? Are you trusting him for that? If life's circumstances have caused you to walk away from trust, you can confess that to him this morning and recommit to trusting Christ. He is trustworthy. Fathers, we bring this to a close this morning. I recognize that there are people in the room today who are considering first-time faith. Father, they are considering first-time obedience, first-time belief, first-time trust. And Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would be drawing their heart Father, you would be giving them eyes to see and ears to hear your spirit as he moves in their heart. You have told us that the spirit's work is to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Father, of the wrong thing, the right thing, and why it matters. And I pray that he would be actively doing that in the room this morning and that you would find us faithful to respond. Lord, I know that there are also uh, others in the room this morning, my brothers and sisters here today, who have become weary in the waiting and where faith may have begun just absolutely white hot on fire. Father, through life circumstances, through trials, uh, Father, through whatever it is that this world has thrown, maybe their trust has waned. Maybe their belief has grown dull. Maybe their obedience is not what it needs to be. And so I pray that this morning is just a healthy reminder and an encouraging word from you, Lord. 
to continue pressing hard, to continue pursuing you, to continue putting our trust and our faith and our hope in Christ, that one day this is all coming to an end, but until then, it's gonna mean fruitful labor for us. We wanna be fruitful laborers for you, showing ourselves to be Christ's disciples. Father, I just recommit to that myself this morning. And I pray that you would be hearing that same recommitment all across this room. We want to please you with our lives, Lord. We know that it will not happen apart from faith. So grow us in this and find us faithful to it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.